Brothers and sisters, turn with me in your Bibles to our text this evening, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, as we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, last week the the preacher Solomon uh, opened up his sermon by declaring that all is vanity. Remember, he he laid that gauntlet down in the very beginning, expressing and declaring what men and women of every generation have have thought and have struggled with. They wake up. They work. They relax. They go to sleep. And they wake up and they do it over and over and over again until they don't because they die. It all comes to an end. So they, the question is asked, what is the purpose then of, of all of our toiling under the sun? Is vanity all that God has created us for? Is a world of vanity and a life of vanity all that God has created us for? And that question arises in people as they sit down and as they reflect upon their life and as they think about their earthly existence and realize that there is no satisfaction for their souls, which their souls long for in anything in nature. Right? Not wealth. Not wisdom, not work, not pleasure. All is meaningless. All is futile, says the preacher in verse 2, which summarizes for us really the the contents of this book. And now what I want us to see is starting here in verse 3, he begins to build his argument in defense of the claim that he has made, saying in verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. Now, brothers and sisters, here is the frustrating part for some readers. 
And that is that Solomon asks the question, but does not give us the satisfaction of the immediate answer to the question, does he? No, that's because this is a rhetorical question. He wants you to think about these things. He wants you to struggle with these things just as Solomon had to think about these things and and struggle with these things. And so as we think about those things this evening, there are a couple of things that I want us to, to keep in mind though so that we would not be driven to utter despair as many people are as they consider these questions. The first thing I want us to, to see is that what Solomon is doing here in verse 3 is he's really directing our attention somewhere. Right? He's directing our eyes somewhere so that we might better understand what it is that he is meaning to convey to us. And I submit to you that what he is directing our attention to in this third verse is the Garden of Eden. That is where Solomon is directing our eyes. Right? He gives us clues to understand the meaning of what he is addressing. Right? The English word man, the English word man is the word Adam in Hebrew. And so think about that then again when you now read verse 3. What does man or Adam gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? Right? That word man alongside the idea of toilsome labor is meant to do what? To drive you back to Genesis and the fall. Right? What do we read in Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 to 19? Right? What does God say to Adam as a result of sin? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So I want us to see that Solomon is not saying, he isn't saying that you are completely hopeless, and that you have no escape from your daily never-ending grind, which leaves our souls thirsting for something more to fill them. But what he is saying is you are hopeless, and you are left to despair in your repetitive daily activities if you are looking to find true happiness under the sun in a fallen world. That is what he is saying in verse 3. And why is that? Because since the fall, everything is dying. Everything is dying. We see the mortality of things all around us. There are probably many of you here today who, who love the season of spring. Why? Because you love to see the, the flowers that you planted bloom. Right? You like to be able to tend to your gardens and reap the benefits of the tasty fruit and vegetables that come out from them. But what happens after all that toilsome labor come October and November when you had the frost? Right? All your hard work, you watch shrivel and die. And now you have to wait till the spring again to do it all over again. And all that happens is the same result over and over and over again. And so with Eden then, in the fall, in the back of our minds, we can see now why Solomon says that all is vanity. Right? Because this world brings forth produce, doesn't it? but it brings forth dying produce. Right? This world brings forth temporal contentment, but it's dying contentment. It brings forth joy and happiness in the lives of some people, 
But it's only temporary. It's dying joy and it's dying happiness. Nothing lasts in this world. Right? Change is constantly occurring. And so Solomon is trying to show us the, the dying, changing, transitory nature of this world to demonstrate that you will never find true and lasting peace in the things of this world. But then here is the second thing that Solomon wants us to understand so that we would not be driven into total despair. And what he does to, to show us this is he kind of draws this invisible line in the sand, so to speak. It separates two things as he talks about the emptiness of everything under the sun. Right? That, that invisible line that he draws separates everything under the sun from everything above the sun. And so Solomon now unfolds for us right, the, the vanity of all things so that we would recognize that line of demarcation and understand that there is nothing under the sun that we search for and long after that can satisfy our souls. Right? He wants us then to fix our eyes not on things around us and things below. He doesn't want to fix our eyes on the ground, on the earth but rather in pointing out the vanity of everything, what he's seeking to do is to dissuade you. Right? He wants to dissuade man from looking to the things of this earth by removing all of these obstacles, showing you the vanity of each and every thing, so that at the end of it, there is only one place for you to look. And that is up. That is heavenward. Right? That is towards God and not to yourselves. And we see this method of argumentation starting in verse 4 and running really to verse 8. And so we'll call this our first point this morning, uh, restlessness. Because this is really what Solomon is, is pointing out for us in these five verses. In verse 4, we read, A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. Now, that, brothers and sisters, is what we call hyperbole, right? In comparison to our lifespan or a generation being a cycle of people that exist in the world, it seems as if the world is here forever and will last forever. I mean, think about how many generations have, have lived and died since the earth has been in, in existence. But also consider the irony of this. The, the earth and the world and creation was made for you to enjoy and yet you die and the earth remains. But brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean that, that we are to look to the earth and the things of the earth to find true happiness. Because although the earth looks permanent, like you and I, it is not. And creation, like you and I, likewise groans. Creation, like you and I, is tired. And it desires to be set free from its bondage that it has been subjected to by sin. Right? Like you and I, we need to see that creation works tireless, tirelessly but does nothing new. The sun rises and goes down. Right? The wind blows, the streams run to the sea. All continue to do what they were created to do every single day, day after day after day. And now we look out at creation. And we see the beauty of it all, don't we? But what Solomon does in our text today is he shows us the reality behind creation. Right? What is really going on with the beauty that we see? 
Right In verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. You see, they continue to be on this monotonous routine. Right? Day after day after day. But, but what is true of the, of the sea and the streams? It's never full and it's without rest. Right? Sun and wind and streams, they make their rounds every single day, but they are discontented by their work. This is why it is utter foolishness right, to look to the things of the earth to find satisfaction and meaning and purpose by setting our hope on earthly, transitory, changing and dying things. And yet how many people of every generation continue to do that? They pursue the things of the world at all costs. Right, to the neglect of God, to the neglect of their family many times, to the neglect of their very own souls. Right, they say, if I only had a little more money, I would finally be happy. Right, if I only had this job that I've longed for, then I would be happy. If I only got the promotion that I've been trying to attain for so many years, finally I would find true peace and happiness. Right, they spend all their time, right, working tirelessly for answers to the questions that their souls are longing to have answered only to find out that they are working tirelessly and expending all that energy needlessly because the answers are not there. It's like the cat who chases his tail around and around in a circle and can never grab his tail. It's a fruitless and futile endeavor. And yet how sad that men will spend their entire existence working tirelessly to find that rest that escapes them. They'll be working through intolerable pain, not knowing that true rest has been set before their eyes if all they would do was look up and have it. And what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Verses 28 to 30. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like creation, we are tired. We are tired. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are tired. But also man, like creation, can deceive people by what you see outwardly. Right? When we look upon creation, you see its beauty, but you don't understand how restless creation is. Same with man. You can see their man's smiling face. You can see his cool demeanor. De- demeanor. But what you don't see is what is underneath the, the skin of man, and that is that longing to have the resolution to the restlessness that he so desperately wants. But brothers and sisters, restless, dying, changing things can never be found in a restless world. It can only be found in the one who has entered that rest, who has defeated death, who lives forevermore, and who does not change. But brothers and sisters, we must look away from ourselves if we want to find that rest. Man will never be able to put an end to his own restlessness. Only Christ can do that. And yet, brothers and sisters, how many professing Christians today live like restless man? 
Right? See how, see how futile it is to be chasing after and being fixated upon the things of this earth. What does it ever truly get you? So brothers and sisters, may we all be, see the need to be weaned off of this world and the love of this world. May we all see and be reminded of the very purpose for why we are here. Right? We are here to serve God, not to serve idols. Right? We are here to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves or this earth. Right? We are here to enjoy God, not enjoy anything apart from God. This is why Jesus then says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many here today can say that, that this is what you do day in and day out in your lives? You seek first the kingdom. Because know this, nothing on earth you can take with you, whether to heaven or to hell. Right? The things of this earth will benefit you temporally. But the spiritual things, the heavenly things, will benefit you eternally. And so the question is, what are you going to spend your time pursuing? And what are you going to spend your time pursuing? Now we look then at the restlessness of all things. I have two additional points, but they're extremely brief, so don't be scared. Okay? So our, our look with me please at, at verse 9 and 10. And we'll look here at our second point then. There in verse 9, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a new thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. And so here, what Solomon is showing to us is, the, is, is that everything that we encounter is routine. And so as point one was restlessness, point two will be routine. Now, what we need to understand is that obviously when he talks about there being nothing new under the sun, right, he's not talking about advancements in, in technology and in science and all those different things. Right? What he's saying is there's nothing new to be found under the, under the sun by which man will find satisfaction for his soul in. Right? That's the context of our, of our passage. Right? Everything man has tried to fill himself up with whether that be profit or pleasure or honor, are not new things. They are old things that people throughout history have tried to find satisfaction in. Never to find it. And no one who comes after us in successive generations will ever find it either. I mean, think about it. Throughout all of history, people have pursued profit, have they not? They pursued wealth and the accumulation of riches, and yet they have never found satisfaction for their souls in those things. Right? Man throughout history has pursued pleasure, whether in material goods or sexual or, or in food and drink, and yet never to be filled. Right? Man has, has sought to find true happiness in honor. Right? And maybe in his job, his career, in the uh, position he has in society, maybe the, the power that he has attained, but nothing new has ever brought man that satisfaction. And nothing new or nothing has changed likewise with human nature as well, has it? Right? This is why fallen human nature continues to look to things under the sun to find happiness in a sin-cursed world. It is because, brothers and sisters, we are all born into this world with a, a sin-cursed heart. Jeremiah in, seven, in chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? 
See, our hearts deceive us into thinking that we will be the people to find something new to satisfy our souls. But that is us being blinded by sin. Everything that we come across is routine. Everything is the same. The same pattern, the same results. We think that we're smarter than the generations that have come before us. But the fact that we keep pursuing everything just like they did to the same failure that they did demonstrates that we're not that smart at all. Doesn't it? Solomon also then wants us to consider this, that all things that man has sought to find delight in are things that man must depart with when he dies. And those things that man seeks to attain to find delight in, they too one day will die. And so both man and things throughout the world will will continually be forgotten. Look with me at verse 11, please. There we read this, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. This leads us to our, our third and final very brief point, which we'll call remembrance. Remembrance. Men throughout history, brothers and sisters, have sought to create empires and kingdoms and legacies that would last forever. But what do they have in common? They have all, over time, been forgotten. Have you ever tried talking to a a teenager about who the greatest basketball player in history is? You tell them of Michael Jordan and they look at you in the face with a blank stare and say, Who? You try telling them about some of the greatest entertainers and sports figures that have ever lived. Right, Elvis Presley, right, John Wayne, maybe Walter Payton, people who all lived in the 20th century, were hugely popular, had massive impacts upon their generation, and yet are now forgotten by the generations that have followed. And so think, brothers and sisters, about how much then we remember those who lived in the 1st century, in the 10th century, in the 15th century, if we can remember those who lived but 50 and 60 years ago. But this is what happens as as every generation passes, their remembrance and the things that they have done float away right into the fog of darkness to utter oblivion. Right? That is what happens. This is the ever-changing world that we live in. That is why all is vanity. But now, brothers and sisters, contrast that with the former things that shall not be forgotten. Right? Contrast that with those things that shall not pass away even with time. Those former things I'm talking about are the former works of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who God in His providence will not allow to be forgotten. Right? His works do not die. His works never lose their effect. They are of eternal and everlasting value. And when men receive them through faith in the Son, they are things that you can take with you even when you die and be able to enjoy them for all of eternity. In Psalm 102, verse 12, the psalmist declares, But you, O Lord, abide forever and your name to all generations. In Psalm 145, verse 7, they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. This is why we're not to put our hope and trust in things that will eventually be forgotten and die. But rather we are to put our hope and trust in God 
who is from everlasting to everlasting, whose goodness and love and mercy and grace shall never be forgotten. Everyone here, every single one of us sitting here, you will die and you will be forgotten. We all will die and we all will be forgotten. Now, apart from Christ, the weight of that statement might crush some people. But that's because you can, you can live in the world and have everything and at the exact same time have nothing. Right? This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 3, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? See then, brothers and sisters, that it is He who reigns above that we are to spend our time pursuing as we live under the sun. It is He who reigns above, above the sun, that we are to spend our time pursuing as we are under the sun if our souls shall ever experience the rest they so desperately desire. Right? Fallen creation cannot provide that to you. Only Christ can. May we then look to Him, for He provides to us all that is outside our reach apart from Him, which is true rest, purpose, meaning, and something to both live and die for. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but Your Word endures forever. We thank You for Your enduring Word. We thank You for Your blessed words. Lord, we pray and ask, Lord, for forgiveness, for looking for happiness and living as those who are seeking rest under the sun. Lord, show us every day the the vanity and futility of doing that and cause our eyes and our hearts to look heavenward every single day, resting and trusting in Christ and He alone, knowing that the eternal words that He gives to us are things that will bless us, not temporally, but eternally. May our hearts long and thirst for His eternal words. And may our hearts long and thirst to spend eternity with Him forever. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.